with me. We're going to be in the book of Revelation tonight. The book of Revelation in chapter 19. Uh, the, the kind of theme, if you will, of, of the services this week is kind of been along the lines of seeing God the way we're supposed to. Uh, the, the big G and the little me. Uh, it's kind of sticky, stuck in my head. Uh, if we really see God the, the way we should, we talked about Monday night, is, is, that we'll, is that we'll really appreciate what he's done for us. We'll really appreciate what he's doing for us and what he's going to do for us. And we talked about last night being willing to allow him to do that. Uh, being willing to, to allow him to use our life for, for his honor and glory. And so tonight we're going to kind of look at a, a little bit different side of it. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse... Nine, And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the wonderful things you've done for us throughout the day. Lord, thank you for everything you've given us, everything you've blessed us with. Lord, help us so we could always be grateful. We could always be thankful. Lord, help us as, as we jump into your word tonight. Lord, help us to see what you would have us to see. Lord, help us that so we will be willing to apply your word, your teachings to our lives. Lord, help us that so we will be willing to accept what you would have for us. In our life, that we could turn our life over to you, Lord, that we could we could sing, I surrender all from the bottom of our heart. Lord, help us in a greater way. We would appreciate you. We could thank you, Lord. And then we could worship you in a way that you're deserving of. And then we could see you in a greater way each and every day. Lord, help us throughout this service. Forgive us where we fail you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I kind of want to concentrate on verse 10 a little bit tonight. And I'm not going to give you an English lesson, I promise. But I want to take a look at the colons. I'm a big fan of a colon because whenever you see a colon, that means there's an explanation coming after it. There's a because coming after it. So we look in verse 10, and we see a couple of them. It says in verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. And then there's a colon. He said, Don't do it, and I'm about to tell you why. He said, The reason is I'm not fellow servant. And thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And then there's another one. Why not to worship me? Who's deserving of our worship tonight? Next two words says worship God. What do we get caught up in this world worshiping? Anybody fell in front of a golden statue lately and worshiped it? I don't think anybody in here has. I, I hadn't. I try not to. We try not to, to, to legitimately sit down and worship idols as the, the children of Israel got caught doing several times. We try not to get hung up and, and caught in, in worshiping uh, the devils and the demons and the symbols and the emblems. And, and we forget about other things that we can worship. Whenever we worship something, that means kind of means that we're idolizing it in our life. The word worship can be used as a noun or a verb. It is mean to honor. And to reverence, Webster says unconditionally. To honor and to reverence unconditionally. When used as a noun, the word worship means that, that you're showing something honor. That you're being reverent. 
Whenever you use as a verb, worship is, is action. We talked a little bit about night, last night uh, about, about being able to allow God to use our life. We have to let him. We can talk about how much we love Jesus. But if we sit there like a knot on a log, don't amount to much. We can talk about how much we want to worship God because there's nobody in here that God hadn't done a lot for. Nobody. Lost or saved. There's nobody in here that God hadn't done a lot for. And so if you think that he's not worthy to be worshipped, then, then you're sadly mistaken on a whole new level. Uh, I'm not sure how your mind works. Because he is worthy to be worshipped. He really is. And we don't get caught up worshipping him the way we should. Because whenever we sing, I surrender all. How many times do we, do we sing it out of habit and not from the bottom of our heart? Whenever we sing higher ground, how many times are we truly... Worshiping God with that song. Whenever we sing Rock of Ages, are we just singing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me? Are we truly thankful that we have a Rock of Ages? Do we worship out of habit, out of monotony? Or do we worship from a grateful heart? Tonight, I kind of want to focus on, on how we worship, how we thank God, how we show Him appreciation for the things that He's done for us in our life. And in order to do that, I, want to, I don't want to make a comparison but I just want to throw some facts out there of some other people and the way they worship. And we've all heard of radicals. We know that there are radical people in this world. Radical people are people that go above and beyond. Uh, why are we not radicals? A lot of times there's a negative connotation with that word. And, and, and most of the time there is. But whenever you go above and beyond, you're considered to be a radical. Why are we not radicals? Does God not deserve for us to be radicals? Does God not deserve for us to go above and beyond in, in worshiping Him? In the, in the religion of Islam, uh, Jesus Christ is mentioned in their Bible. Uh, they do believe that, that He was on this earth, and, and they believe a lot to worship Muhammad. And they love Him unconditionally, and they honor Muhammad unconditionally. And there's five pillars of Islam that I want to throw out at you tonight. One is a declaration of faith. And this is the Islamic religion. The other is daily prayers, fasting during Ramadan, almsgiving, and a, a pilgrimage to Mecca. That is what worship means in the Islamic religion. That's, that's hardcore. Daily prayers, most of the time out on a prayer rug in the middle so everybody can see you making a big deal out of it cannot miss it for nothing and they're worshiping a dead man we're worshiping jesus and we don't pray like them all too often we're scared to let people see us pray and the people that are worshiping a dead man are praying more than us and a lot of times praying more intently than us myself included their declaration of faith Leave something to be desired on the foundation that it stands on. But whenever they can tell anybody who it is that they worship, whenever they try really, really, really hard to go out and, and get people to come and to, and to convert, and whenever they try to disciple people, if I can use that word, on a daily basis, they're spreading their culture and, and their religion and, and they're sharing who they're worshiping all too often more than we are. Islam is the fastest growing religion on the face of the planet. Some people say it's because they multiply faster. I say it's 
It's because they're a little bit more worshipful than we are. And most of the time, that's the truth. It's a hard truth, but that's the truth. They worship unconditionally. And all too often, we're too scared because somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to think the wrong way. We'll put the cell phones, we'll put the football games, we'll put a social life, we'll put how somebody's going to perceive us ahead of God. And here, if, if John has fallen before what we can consider to be a, a heavenly being, and he says, no, don't worship me, worship God. What's God going to say whenever we put things of this world ahead of him? Whenever we put the, the, the fears of this life ahead of him, we're not falling down in front of golden images. We're not doing that. But whenever we, whenever we put things of this world ahead of God, then we're, we're essentially idolizing them. And we're not worshiping God the way that we should. Whenever we sing songs or we come to church out of monotony, we're not worshiping God the way we should. Whenever we're scared of change because it is different, we're not worshiping God the way we should. Whenever we argue with people over things that there's, there's no basis of in the Bible, we're not worshiping God the way we should. Whenever we get hung up on, on frivolous things in this life and, and, and try so hard to get other people to see our point. And then we, and then we forget to show a lost world a, a Jesus that saved our soul. We're not worshiping God the way that we should. And so if you'll keep your Bibles open tonight, we're going to flip back and forth into a a few different scriptures, and I hope to get the point across in a way that, that God will be pleased. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus. Exodus in chapter 23. We all know the Ten Commandments. Most of us could probably quote them. I can usually quote about nine, and I'll leave one off. But uh, most of us know the Ten Commandments, and, and this is right after the Ten Commandments. They're back in, I think, verse twenty, uh, chapter 20. We're going to be over in chapter 23 of the book of Exodus, God is still giving directions, instructions to the children of Israel. Because it is in our Bible, then it is instructions, directions for us. And so if you would, look with me in Exodus in chapter 23, in verse 25. I'm going to read the one verse. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take away... Sickness, I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. God's blessings are conditional, right? That's what this is saying. It says, Thou ye shall serve the Lord your God. That word serve there is tricky. That word serve there means to essentially obey. The word serve there also has a connotation that goes with it to to trust and to be thankful and to love. And it says that if we will, He will bless our bread, our water, and take away sickness. A lot of people will say whenever they get sick, oh, what'd you do? Other people will say, well, well, well something happened to him. What, what'd he do wrong? We read about a blind man in the New Testament that everybody said, what sin did his parents commit? Jesus said it has nothing to do with that. 
whenever something happens in our life, and, and even if we're serving the Lord, Papa always said, and Daddy says the same thing, if you hit your hand with a hammer, do you thank God? The Bible says to be thankful in all things. When you hit your hand with a hammer, how often are we thankful? When we fall off a horse, how often are we thankful? We rip our arm on barbed wire. We stump our toe in the middle of the night. How often are we thankful? Could have been worse. Maybe God's trying to get our attention. Maybe he's given us an opportunity to show someone that, that we're different. Because whenever we hit our hand with a hammer and someone else is around, and we stop and thank God, there, something's, something's different. Whenever we don't throw out a curse word, something's different. Whenever we act different, whenever we serve the Lord in everything, whenever we give thanks for everything, whenever we show ourselves as a peculiar people, the world notices that something is different. They see the worshipfulness in us each and every day. We're going to show them something. Why not show them how big our God is? Why not? People ask me questions all the time. Well, why would you do this and why would you do that? Why not? Why not? Well, how come you didn't tell this person about Jesus? I don't know. Why not? How come you didn't, how come you didn't pray out loud at this restaurant? You just kind of looked around and stuck your head down, picked your head back up, made sure nobody saw you. Is that worshiping God? Or is that worshiping your name, your reputation? That's what you're idolizing above. That's what we're all idolizing above God whenever we focus in on that and we don't focus in on God. Turn with me back to the New Testament, if you would, to Romans in chapter 11. Romans in chapter 11. We're going to be down around verse 36. For a, for a God that has done everything for him all too often, we're not thankful enough. And we don't prove it enough. Verse 36 of Romans in chapter 11 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. That chapter marker was put there by men, so we're going to go ahead and catch one more verse. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love going right on through that chapter marker because it tells us who deserves our, our praise. It tells us in verse 36 that for of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. And then it tells us our part of it, what we should do. Has God not done enough for us? He's been too good to me. He's gone above and beyond for each and every one of us. Even if he didn't take care of us every single day, he sent his son so that we could have salvation. He's done more than enough for us. And that word reasonable right there, God is not asking too much of any of us whenever he tells us to go into all the world to carry his gospel to the ends of the earth. He's not asking too much of us. Especially whenever we all come in contact with dozens of people a week. Dozens of people that, that no doubt in that crowd there's at least one, two, 
three, fifty, or sixty that, that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the wedding vows, it's to death do us part. And oftentimes when people write their own, they'll say, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. And that's, that's true love. God didn't ask us to lay down our life for him. He gave Jesus for that. God asked us to give our life for him. A living sacrifice. So that we can live for him. So that we can worship him. So that we can glory him in anything and everything that we do. Because that is... That's what he wants. That's what he deserves. And whenever we sing uh, how great thou art and we don't sing it from the bottom of our heart, we're not giving God what he deserves. We talked about that number line and, and how we're all zeros. If we put God at the beginning, we become billions, trillions. Whenever we put God at the end, we remain a zero. If we see God as as important as He is, He is deserving of our worship. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 18. We see an example here of two men. One man that did it right, one man that did it wrong. All too often, we'll find ourselves in the wrong man's shoes. Been there, done that not a good place to be it's not a good situation to find yourself in luke in chapter 18 verse 10 two men went up into the temple to pray the one a pharisee the other a publican the pharisee stood and prayed thus within with himself god i thank thee that i am not as other men or extortioners unjust adulterers even as this publican I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Last night we, we read the story of the rich man. We counted the eyes. <laughs> you see that? Man, there's a lot of eyes in there. I got them all underlined in my Bible. Looks like I made a bunch of tick marks. It says that, that he prayed with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. He just starts himself off in a hole, don't he? He don't say, God, I thank you for everything that you've done for me. God, I thank you for putting you being in the position that you've put me in. I thank you for every single breath that I take. He just says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. He said, I fast twice a week. Now he's bragging to God. We sing a song, His Eyes on a Sparrow. We know that God is, is watching us, right? We know that God sees us. The word we use is omnipotent, omnipresent, always watching every single one of us on a daily basis, knows the hair on our head, knows us on a personal level, takes care of us on a personal level. So why do we need to brag to him? God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I'm, I'm just too good for that. Look what I did this week. Whenever we do things that we want credit of men and of God, or do we do it for the right reasons? Do we do it out of love? Do we do it out of the Spirit of God? And the public in verse 13, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote 
upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Anybody in here never sinned before? Anybody in here don't consider themselves a sinner? Even after we're saved, we still mess up. We still sin. Is there any point in time in our life that we don't need God's mercy? That we don't need His grace? That we don't need His long-suffering? That we don't need His love? Not only do we need it at some point in time between now and death, we need it every day. We need it every minute of every day. And the trick is recognizing that we need it. Because all too often we'll get bent up in pride. And we're going to talk about the good kind of pride in a little while, but we'll get hung up in that bad kind of pride. That bad kind of pride is that me, myself, and I attitude. That attitude that, that I got this, I can do this, I'm all over it. And like we talked about last night, we'll go to God for a last resort. That's a bad place to be. This publican saw himself as a beast. He saw himself humbled. He saw himself as a sinner that he truly was. He stands afar off knowing that, that in his sinful nature, he's far off from God. All too often we catch ourselves not being as close to God as we, as we should be because there's something hung up between us and him, and it's that sin. Between us and God, there's that sin that we just can't get through. What did God say to do whenever we sinned? He said to confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us. This man says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized his position. He recognized where he was. The Bible says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exhausted. He knows that he had sinned. He smote himself on the breast. He knew that he was in bad shape. He knew that he needed Jesus. He knew that above everything else, he needed atonement for his sins. He recognized God as being in the position that he was, he was in. Not only did he recognize God as large as God should be saying, seen, he recognized himself as little and as lowly and as humble as each and every one of us should see ourselves. On a daily basis, we require a little bit of humbling. We get hung up in this world whenever we see something that we did, whenever we see the results of something that we did. Paul says that, that God gives the increase. If we spread the word and someone hears it and gets saved, it's, it's not us. If we spread it for our glory, we did it for the wrong reason anyway. We spread the word. We, we worship God. We come to church for His honor and glory. For the furtherance of the church, for the furtherance of the gospel. We don't come for our reasons, for our, for our justification to be seen of people to come for a social event. It don't work that way. Both of these men came before the temple together. But they came for two different reasons. The Pharisee came and, and stood, no doubt, in, in the front because it said the publican stood afar off. So he got it right up in the middle of where everybody could see. I bet he was talking loud too. He came not to worship God, 
for the sake of worshiping God. He came to worship God for the sake of other people seeing him. He came to worship God for the sake of, of other people getting to hear what he has done. I give tithes. It says that I fast twice a week. He was there for his reasons. He wasn't there to worship God. Whenever we sing, do we sing because we want to sound good to everybody out there? Or do we sing because we truly want to worship our Heavenly Father? Whenever we pray, do we pray because we want to tickle the ears of somebody on the back row? That we want them to know exactly how good and how awesome and how articulate our prayer was? Or do we pray because we truly have a burden on our heart? Do we pray to lead into a worship service? Do we pray to have a conversation with God? All too often we get hung up on this thing that's, that's called worship. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John, in chapter 1. The book of 1 John, chapter 1, talks a little bit about about us being a sinner. About the reason that we worship God. And about the way that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Chapter of 1 John, chapter 1. Excuse me, book of 1 John, chapter 1. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ His Son, cleanseth us all from sin. It's hard to worship when you're holding hard feelings against somebody else that's standing next to you trying to worship God. You believe that'll hinder a revival? It will. You believe it'll hinder a worship service? It will. It said that, that we have fellowship one with another because we have something in common. We may not have anything else on this earth in common. You like blue, I like green. Man, anything else in common. But I'm here saved by the blood of Christ. And if you are too, then we have that in fellowship. We have that in common. And whenever we come forward to church, whenever we come to worship God for doing that for us, then, then we come in one accord. We don't come harboring hard feelings because he got my parking spot. I've been parking there forever. He got my seat. Ooh, we get stuck to them church benches, don't we? I'm telling you. We'll get a visitor in our church bench and, and, and sometimes we, we just can't sit right in another bench. We don't wore a hole in this one. And we'll harbor feelings against this, this visitor that came to worship God with us. And we'll get all upset and twisted out of shape. It's hard for us to conduct a worship service that way. Because in our heart, we're not grateful to God. We're concentrating on this other person. We're concentrating on, on how upset we are that we're not sitting in our regular seat with the peppermint and the songbook holder and the blanket right next to us. The way the light shines on our Bible hits just perfectly. We get hung up on that the whole service and we'll forget to worship God. God didn't forget any part of salvation. The whole plan start to finish was perfect, wasn't it? It was beautiful. He was born of a virgin. Herod tried to kill Jesus. He couldn't do it. God had a plan. God protected him. God stayed focused. Throughout his whole life, Jesus was hunted, stalked by the Pharisees and Sadducees. People trying to find fault in him. They couldn't do it because God's plan was perfect. 
Whenever they crucified Jesus, they didn't kill him. He gave up the ghost. Part of God's plan. It was perfect. Three days from then, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter. What happened? Other part of God's plan. He rose from the dead. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. God's plan was perfect. Why is he not worthy of our praise? Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Harboring sin within ourselves can affect the worship service. It can affect, it can affect, affect, I don't know. It can affect a revival. It can affect our influence that we have on other people. Whenever we have sins that we have not got right with God about. Confession is a hard thing. Confession is something that we all struggle with because we all struggle with that thing called pride. And it's, oh man, it's hard to admit when you're wrong. It really is. I teach high school and, and you know good and well, because I was that kid when I was in school, that they're always looking for the teacher to mess up. Always. I was that person that raised my hand. Hey, you, you wrote the number wrong? That was me. Now, I have kids in my class doing that. Whenever we mess up, it is hard for us to admit we're wrong. But if we don't get our life right with God before we come to church, we're not going to worship Him the way that we should. We're not going to worship Him the way that He deserves. We're not going to be able to. The next verse is our solution to that. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not only that, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God said if we'll square up with Him, He'll square up with us. Good to go. Moving on. But we have to we have to drop that whole pride deal. Well, Thornhill said last night that the, the word I comes from the, the word ego. E-I-G-O. <laughs> kind of goes hand in hand. Because whenever we have to set that ego aside and, and recognize that we have messed up, we are unworthy, we are wrong. And whenever we confess that to God, then we can come forth and worship. Then we can sing the old rugged cross recognizing and knowing that Jesus paid the price for us. And we can sing trust and obey. We can sing it knowing that in our heart that we trust Him wholeheartedly and that we obey Him confessing our sins. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. If we come before the cross and all we do is uh, before the the Lord and all we do is is beg him for help the sick, save the lost. And we don't recognize that 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 we have failed. That we have not reached the the mark that that Jesus set for us. If we don't recognize that we're not there, then we're in bad shape. Reading on down through chapter 2, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Back in medieval times, everybody had a the something or other after their name. Everybody did. And I find it, it interesting here, because you don't see it everywhere in the Bible, that it's he's called Jesus Christ, the righteous. In verse 2, we understand why He's the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, 
Not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This comes back to why we worship God. Not the how, but the why. Whenever we greater see the why, whenever we can greater understand why we worship God, I feel like we'll worship Him in a greater way. We'll sing louder. You don't see the rafters shaking in very many churches nowadays. You really don't. If you do, a lot of times it's not for the right reasons. It's true. Trey got saved a, a couple of weeks ago or months ago. I don't remember. Here, short, shortly a while back, he got saved. And, and coming out of the church, uh, Brother Harold made a comment, or maybe Miss Maureen. Somebody made a comment and said that if he sang loud before, imagine how he's going to sing now that he's got saved. Amen. Think about it. Think about it because now, and each and every one of us can say that. Now we have something to sing louder about, right? Amen. Now we have something to worship God more far. Well, why don't we sing that loud every day? Because every day we have Jesus to worship Him for. Every day we have our health, we have our strength, we have our church. I tell you what, there's not a lot of places you can find churches anymore that follow the Bible, that are true to the Word of God. And until you get away from Pine and Thomas and South Mississippi and South Louisiana, you don't understand and, and quite realize that, that a true church is rare. A true church is something to be thankful for. And we take it for granted because we live 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes away. And we don't worship God for being able to come to a, a true house of worship. We don't thank God and we don't appreciate the, the gift that He's given us that we can come here. It says in verse 2 that He is the propitiation for our sins. If you're here and lost, Jesus is the propitiation for your sins. The word propitiation there is, is kind of like a, a substitute. Uh, it, it means to, to take the place of. Uh, to, to, well, that's the best way I know how to explain it, to take the place of. And the kicker is uh, in, the, in the Greek it's talked about it has to be approved by somebody. Somebody has to approve uh, this propitiation, taking the punishment, taking the, the guilt, the shame, whatever it is, taking the place of this person that did the wrong. Each and every one of us was in the same condition. We were all lost at some point. We were all, all bound for hell at some point. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became that propitiation. It was approved by the ultimate judge, God. But the thing is, both parties have to agree. For a propitiation to be successful, for a substitution, for a switch out, if you will, both parties have to be accepting and willing. Jesus did his part. Jesus took my sentence. Jesus took hell for me. Jesus took hell for you. Jesus was judged for me. Jesus was judged for you. All you have to do is accept that. Jesus died for each and every one of us in here. And whenever we accept that Jesus is the, the true Son of God, and that He came and He accepted our sin debt that we owed, He accepted our punishment, He accepted our hell. And whenever we accept Him as our Savior, the Bible says that we will have everlasting life. We'll have a reason to sing. We'll have a reason to pray. We'll have a reason to rejoice. We'll have a reason to worship. I understand that tonight is, is the last night of, of the services this week.
It has been a wonderful week. But the revival don't stop whenever the doors close. The revival don't stop whenever the last song is led. The revival don't stop whenever the, the last prayer is ended. The revival don't stop when the doors are closed and the lights are turned off and everybody goes home. Because revival is a change within each and every one of us. And hope at some point this week we've been able to see God in a greater way. We've been able to see God for, for who He is. Not only that, for what He's done for us. For what He does for us. And for what He will do for us. If you're here and lost, you've only got half of that. You may know God, but you don't see God the way we see Him. You don't see Jesus the way, the way that we see Him. And one day you're going to see hell. And then you're going to see Jesus the way that we see Him. But it's going to be too late. Tonight, if you're lost, the Bible says that whosoever believes on Him should have everlasting life. That is as simple as it gets. God has done it all. We worship Him for it. We thank Him for it. We praise Him for it because it is a big G and a little me. Whenever we accept that it is a little me, we turn from our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And He will save us. Well, have a verse of a song we'd like to ask.